Hey, welcome. It's Danielle Laporte. This podcast is called With Love, Danielle, and it's essentially a one-woman show about my explorations into self-realization. Few things to know. These are typically adult-like conversations. Every Thursday, this particular episode, I do a Q&A style conversation, and those questions are submitted by listeners to submit your question. And by the way, anything goes, you can go to daniellelaporte.com slash with love, daniellelaporte.com slash with love. I record these podcasts just sitting here in my living room, so you are possibly going to hear the natural sounds of my neighborhood in East Vancouver. Welcome with love. Hello, friends. Today we are going to do a Q&A fiesta because this podcast is going to take a siesta. Oh my God, I just thought of that. I'm so poetic when I show up for you. Two more episodes left, and I want to get in as many potentially useful answers as I can before I take a podcast break. And by podcast break, I mean, I'll be back soon. I'm going off to launch a beautiful membership program where we're going to practice together every week. Uh, there'll be a theme for the month, and we're going to do prayer and meditation and and human-to-human -human conversation. It'll be so good. And... I'm going to get going on my next book. But let's start with the next up question. It comes from Vivian. Vivian says, I watched recently on occult objects in the home a YouTube video and why they should be removed. The video was from a new age guru who had turned Christian. Mm, Vivian, I think I know of the woman you speak. Uh, I wanted to hear your perspective on this, as I understand that you have a well-rounded view of both worlds. I grew up immersed in New Age ideas while I questioned a lot of it. I found most of it to be nurturing and well-meaning, helping to perpetuate gratitude and constructive spiritual growth. After hearing this, quote, warning... I felt it was rooted in fear, the need to protect and quarantine oneself from spiritual contamination. Isn't the choice ours to make internally about how we respond to our external environment? Yes. You see this? The answer is already, the answer so often is in the question. How we choose to use our tools and our symbols? Yes, it's up to us. A matter of perspective and intention, no? Correct. And then Vivian heard my podcast where I was talking about our relationship to mornings. It's a beautiful episode, at least if I do say so myself, about looking at morning rituals as opposed to habits. And then beneath those rituals, looking at how our relationship to mornings was formed when we were children. And until we get to that kind of clarity, then we're just putting Band-Aids on bad habits and funky feelings in the morning. Anyway, back to Vivian's question. So what Vivian is talking about is that I mentioned tarot decks and divination in my conversation about mornings, and she believes that my point was very well argued. Thank you. Thank you for your balanced outlook and your very wise conclusions. So what's my opinion on funky, new age, deity, 
symbols and quote-unquote occult objects in the home. I definitely have opinions on this. Here we go. Currently, I have less deity sacred statues in my home than I ever have, which is to say I used to have a shit ton of goddesses and Christian objects and the like. Why did I have all of those things? What what let's talk about what I actually had and how I use those in my practices and in my perpetuation of fear and looking outside of myself. Let me see. I've had Kali statues, sometimes pronounced as Kali, the goddess of destruction. I spent a bunch of money getting a really beautiful, but you know, that that the depiction. That embodiment of Kali is so gruesome, right? There she is with her tongue hanging out of her wide mouth in this fierce, aggressive stance. And in each hand, she's holding not just a head, multiple heads of men who she has decapitated. She's actually dancing on the body of a supine male. So it might sound like fun to a lot of us. Why did I have her? Because... That energy of discernment, of destruction, of burning down what is no longer necessary, of frying illusions to a crisp, of removing obstacles that stand between me and the truth, was exactly what I needed during my divorce. (laughs) And it felt like a really great investment because every time I walked by that Kali statuette, I was just like, yeah. I got this. I am removing lies that I told myself during that relationship. I'm removing and atoning for lies I told to other people during that relationship, mostly him. And I am facing forward and I am dancing on the supportive energy of the divine masculine. I got a job to do. That was really useful at that time. Now my Kali statue is wrapped in beautiful silk fabric, and she sits in a container, a a dresser that I have that I just keep sacred objects in that I don't really want to part with because I haven't found the right home or the right place to gift them to yet. Some of these things... I mean, what do you do with your sacred stuff? You don't want to just drop it off at Value Village, right? And Kali can go to somebody else now. Because she is imbued with my devotional energy and my respect and my gratitude. And I know of someone who is going to need that energy someday. I'll be, I'll be delighted to pass her on. And who knows? I might have to call on Kali. Say that quickly. Another time in my life, no doubt. What else have I had? Well, I've spent a lot of energy recovering from my Catholic, punitive, restrictive, misogynistic, patriarchally driven, destructive programming and come to the other side where I've renewed my love for the man who was Jesus the Christ. And I live my life with the aspiration of moving more into that heart-centered 
way of being. Oh, love, love, love. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And uh, yeah, aspiring for just, just to just have a morsel of Christ consciousness in my own consciousness. So on the healthy side, I had and do have a lot of Christian iconography in my life, but not as much as I used to. I'll tell you how I got to like thinning this all out. But I'll tell you, one of my favorite pieces that I have was I bought this very heavy, like it's probably about 200 pounds, metal, oh, how do I describe it? It's like a rectangular plaque that came from a church that was being destroyed in New Jersey. At least that's what the dealer told me. It could have been like, just just like Joe from Jersey could have been totally making this thing up about Jesus, you know, but I went for it. And it is one of the stations of the cross where Veronica is wiping the face of Christ through his passion as he is carrying the cross on his walk. Do you know that story? Let me tell you that quickly. So the reason I'm so interested in it, other than just being a recovered and and deep Jesus lover, I'm interested because my my one of my names is Veronica. It's actually legally my first name. I'm Veronica Danielle. And the story is that whilst it was very unpopular to be demonstrating support publicly for Jesus, Veronica saw his suffering and she took her own veil off her head approached him and wiped his bleeding from the crown of thorns and sweating face. And as the story is told, the miracle that occurred is that the impression of Jesus's face was imprinted upon her veil. And that is known as the veil of Veronica. And the name Veronica actually means compassion or the face of compassion. I take that very seriously, having that name. I mean, that has proven to be so true. Um, should we talk about names for just a second? Can I go on a tangent? You're here. You know I go on the odd tangent. Uh, who knows the definition of their name, the, the roots of it, where it came from, different usages for the name, why you were named that, and how do you feel about your name, and have you changed your name, your birth name, do you want to change your name? It's never too late to change your name. I think people should change their names if they don't love them. Or I think you should learn to love your name and fully celebrate it. But I take the definition of my name as this, this marking, this sacred marking that the divine has given me. And I'm lucky enough to feel like really aligned with the intensity of my names. I mean, Veronica meaning it's all about compassion. That has been my lesson, self-compassion to create compassion for others, like, wow. And Danielle means God is my oath. You know, just a light mantle to carry through life comes from the story of Daniel being in the den, thrown in the den with lions and, you know, assumed that he's going to be munched and eaten by the lions. And he turns to God, puts his full faith in the infinite and says, God is my oath. Like, dude, whatever your will is, you're going to get me out of this somehow, or I'm meant to die. This, this is my call. And in that extreme gorgeous act of pure faith, the lions knelt down before him. 
and his persecutors witnessing that miraculous act of, oh, wow, <laughs> of, I wouldn't call it obedience. Yeah, let's just call it the lions of love. Yeah, Daniel was, he was free to go that day. And Laporte, obviously in French, means the door, but I looked into the roots, the origins of the name, and it means the gatekeeper. Yeah, I got a pretty strong gate. <laughs> you gotta have secret password of love. You gotta be loving to get past the gate. Although, you know, that could be another conversation we could have about the beauty and the maturity of actually having looser boundaries. You know, we've all have worked so hard or beginning to wake up to the work that needs to be done to establish boundaries that are based on self-love. And, you know, now I'm at the point where I'm just getting way looser with them. Like, it's okay. I got room. I got room. I got enough love for me. That means I got, I got way more love for you. I'm just not, my lock is not as tricky as it used to be. All right, where were we? Back to the occult. Do not love the word occult. I rarely use it because it's so much associated with darkness and witchy, negatively witchy things. Objects. This would be a good time to tell you that I actually don't believe in feng shui. So I have, I have altars in my home. I still have uh, a handful of sacred um, esoteric objects in my home. And I'm not down with feng shui. Why am I telling you that? Because here's the point. My belief is that if you believe that an object, that a formation, that a pattern, that a number, that a touchstone, flipping your light switch on and off is going to give you any kind of power or any kind of blessing, then it just might. So energy follows the thought. A thought is a representation of a belief. So if you believe that painting your wall red is going in the in the right area of your home is going to bring you more fame and fortune have at it because every time you look at that red wall your thought is going towards fame and fortune positively or negatively and that is creating a reality positively or negatively objects can have the same function just like I was explaining that every time I walk by that Kali statue, the energy of Kali reminded me of something and my thought forms rode on that energy, right? So there's that. I have images of Archangel Michael in different parts of my life tucked into day planners and all the, and I just pick up these, I love going to... <laughs> Well, I love going to any holistic bookstore, but almost as much as any New Age bookstore and hanging out there, I actually love to go to Catholic supply stores, <laughs> which only happens every few years. They're always dusty. The lighting is really bad. It's that fluorescent stuff. Someone who you could classify as elderly and not that talkative usually is employed by these places, and the displays are often accented by plastic flowers love these places because i love all the angel stuff the really tacky stuff the little cherubims but mostly i love the hardcore 
female, <laughs> the feminist devotional stuff, like, you know, images of St. Teresa being pierced by this ray of light from the sky. I'm like, that is me on a good day. <laughs> I totally relate. Oh, I love the visitations of Angel Gabriel and the white lilies coming to the Mother Mary. I love it all. And I have to restrain myself from buying all that stuff. I went through a big Catholic kitsch phase in my 20s. If you believe, that directs your thoughts. So have in your home what you love. All right. If you are coming from a place of fear, meaning if you think that you must have these objects in your life in order to be complete, safe, loved, and loving, you know, you might want to rethink that. Um, you might want to be steering your beliefs to, I'm safe no matter what. You could live in a cave with weeds. You could live in a temple. And really, your inner state is up to you. It has nothing to do with the object. Ultimately, ideally, that's the word. Ideally, your inner state has nothing to do with the sacred objects that you surround yourself with. Okay, let's take another track with the sacred object conversation. Some objects are extremely sacred and we need to revere them and honor them as such. Something that has been gifted to me from a healer, an energy worker, a high-level practitioner, a shaman, a lama, who has done what I believe is probably many, many lifetimes of deep spiritual work, and they themselves are embodying a really high-level frequency. If they are pouring that blessing, that intention, and that divine light, love, and power into an object that's gifted to me, that's some sacred stuff. And I'm going to honor that. And if that object needs to leave my life because I no longer feel aligned to it, it's going back to them, it's getting buried, it's getting gifted, it's going in a sacred container until I know what to do with it. I call on different deities and great beings at different times in my life, whether it's a particular angel, or it's an avatar, or it's an ascended master, or it's everything that Mary Magdalene reminds me to be as an embodied feminine creature. So I have seasons with these kind of images and objects. And where I'm at now is, so, so this is the, the ending of the story, why I have less. The more I rely on myself, on my higher self, the more worthy I realize that I am. The more aligned I feel with nature and the will of the infinite, the fewer objects I surround myself with. I now take so much pleasure and joy and spiritual teamwork energy from just flowers that I can pick in the alley in my neighborhood and rocks that remind me of that day I said that prayer by the river. I've got a rock I have in a pocket 
of a winter coat that I picked up about a year and a half ago, about a year ago. Actually, it was exactly a year ago. Yeah, that I used almost as a worry stone. And I just, I'd, I'd walk, I was walking this labyrinth at this retreat center I was escaping to. I was fleeing to this little island almost every weekend. And I picked up that stone and I just thought, this, I'm going to use this tiny little stone to remind me that the Divine Mother is with me. And I'm going to rub it and rub it and rub it as a reminder, reminder. I'm going to gift that stone to somebody else someday when they need it. All right. That's how I feel about occult objects and belief and sacred imagery and sometimes you've got to take it so lightly and other times with yeah the deepest the deepest depth of respect let me say a little bit more about respect before we go to another question in terms of those seasons i spoke of where you know i'll pull out a particular plaque or image or a little statuette that i've picked up along the way of you know a person a great being who I, i'm calling on at that time when I'm not using that, um, I don't just throw it in the drawer. It goes, many of those things go into this beautiful box I have or the cupboard, the bureau that I mentioned earlier. And I, I treat it like it's, it is this small crystallization of energy. Point being, oh, trust in your heart. Yeah, trust in your heart and be mindful of your energy when you're calling on any great being outside of yourself. Do it with with great reverence and and may you be blessed by any sacred object that you bring into your life. Hey, hey, I've got a free book for you. Like for real free. For real a book. Like you it's printed, you hold it in your hands, it comes in the mail. Someone delivers it, hug them when they deliver it. I am gifting my book, White Hot Truth, subtitle, Clarity for Keeping It Real on Your Spiritual Path from One Seeker to Another, that's me, to you. Let me tell you what people said. Eve Ensler says that White Hot Truth comes straight from the messy, complicated world of authentic life experience. Danielle is a force field of energy, mm, wonder, yeah, humor, that's so funny, and love. Marianne Williamson, running for president of the United States, go, says that I keep it spiritual, I keep it real, and I keep it good. Yeah. Lots of other really smart people think this is pretty decent. It's one of my favorite offerings, actually. So do you want it because you were here listening to With Love, Danielle? All right, let me give you the how-tos of this. Go to my website, daniellelaporte.com slash shop. And then you use this code at checkout podcast love. That's all one word, podcast love. The book, like it's $25, it's probably $3 on Amazon because they're like that. Yeah. So in addition to getting the book, you just pay shipping. Listen, if you live in Australia, it costs you $900 to ship this there, but it's worth it. Uh, The bonus stuff is that you get access to what we called, because it was, it is, the world's hottest book club guide for conversation and contemplation, where here's the vision. 
that I see hundreds, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people getting together in their living rooms, their boardrooms, going for a walk in yoga studios to have discussions about the topics in this book, which is everything we do around personal development that sometimes we should be celebrating because we're really firmly on the path of making progress. And other times our self-help is just a slippery slope to self-criticism. There you have it. White hot truth. White hot meaning the center of a flame is actually not blue. It's white. It's so pure. It's so certain in itself is how I like to look at it, that at that temperature, it can melt metal. So the idea here is you are getting to that center of truth for yourself, your own white hot flame that has you live on purpose according to what your heart says. Listen, all that in a book. Come on, daniellelaporte.com slash shop. Podcast love, this book in your hands. All right, let's talk about divorce. I get a lot of questions about divorce and breakups. And this angle, the angle of this question comes from a woman named Megan. And uh, she said, so much of me feels broken And every day I get up and continue to show up as a badass. My kids get the energetic, working out, business-owning powerhouse, but inside the pain is immense. So her story is that she has two daughters with her ex-husband, and they've been, she and her ex-husband have been split for four years. Divorce is brutal. I know there is no set time frame, she says, but I need some tools to allow me to get out of this pain and truly not be affected by this man and the other woman. And they're always at soccer events, kids' events, etc. All right. I understand. Again, I can only preface everything by saying, this is just my lived experience. Take what you want. And leave the rest. You know, advice giving, such a tricky thing. I actually don't even like to give advice, but here we are, Q&A. One of the most growthful, healing, and powerful things I did with respect to my ex-husband after we divorced was I diligently worked to forgive his soul. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I was clear that when we were in each other's presence, I was still getting like just super activated. The adrenaline would just start pounding through my system. I just, I just did not have it under control. But it wasn't about being in control. It was about feeling what I was feeling and respecting and honoring those feelings. And at the same time, I wanted to lay the burden down of all of that tension and the resentment. And I did a practice where I meditated for him, on behalf of him, by myself, for many months. So it could be just a prayer practice. It could be a letter writing practice. It could be just an internal conversation you have with the other person. What I did was... I would get my typical meditative state, sit in a comfortable position, do some breathing, call on my guides for wisdom and a container of protection and light, whatever works for you. And I would 
intend to come from my higher self. And then I would ask that his higher self take form and that my higher self would connect with his higher self. So I don't want to be dealing from my ego and my wounds and my fucked up opinions about his ego and his wounds and his fucked up opinions. That's why I'm not doing a a conversation with him in real time about how much I really love and appreciate him. It was important for me to go soul to soul. And it sounds easy, and it might sound like spiritual bypassing, but I can tell you from my personal experience was that it was really painful. It was not in the least easy because it's extremely intimate. And what I had set out to do was to allow him access to my heart again which I'd spent a lot of energy and a lot of money (laughs) making sure was never going to happen again. And it was so rectifying and softening and equalizing in a way. It didn't mean that I discounted the bad behavior on everybody's part. By the way, there was no infidelity in our relationship, if anybody's wondering. And I'm saying that mostly out of respect to him. It didn't mean, you know, me going higher self to higher self didn't mean that I was invalidating my agony or my strength or my wisdom or my insight. It meant that I was just willing to generate love, that I was wanting to heal. And that was a significant step. I didn't know what was going to have to come after that. Am I going to have to write him a love letter? Am I going to have to have him over for dinner? Like, what's it going to look like? But I knew if I just operated from my heart in a contemplative way, the answer would come. And there were a lot, there were more tears, just I thought I could not cry more tears over me having had to have leave that relationship. But I did in that meditative place and it was super healing. So you might want to try that. You know, so often those of us who are like on the path, we forget, we forget that we have these metaphysical tools in our toolkit. We've heard about this. We've used this before. We've done this in other circumstances. We've been reading about this. We went to the workshop. And then when the shit just feels like we, you know, we're swimming in it, we forget to reach for those inner technologies. Highly recommend it. So the next question you would probably want to ask me in this moment is like, so what'd you do in real life with the ex-dude? I softened. I softened. I got the fuck over some things. And I'm really clear, like we weren't a match for each other and we're not a match now in terms of like, we ain't hanging out together. But I let him into my kitchen, which I hadn't done for five years. And we're able to have, well, we were actually, so much to our credit, we were always able to have very civil conversations. We, we did not speak cruelly to each other. Once, once things were really final, we're actually quite respectful. Although I would say it's, maybe it was easy because I kept such distance between us. Anyway, I shortened that distance, you know. And I also stopped believing that I was that 
vulnerable or impressionable or anybody could take anything away from me or anybody could suck on my Shakti. I just like, I'm full. I'm full of love. And if I need protection, my guides got me. And this man is a good father. And there's a lot of goodness to him because I married that goodness. Yeah. So consider that. With respect to timing and divorce, I mean, Megan, you'd mentioned, um, I know there is no set time frame. Yeah, I agree with that. A couple things about timing. My experience with divorce was that people who hadn't been in a long-term relationship and split had no idea the recovery requirements <laughs> after leaving a long-term relationship, especially where there's a, a child involved, especially where you've actually made, you know, you've, you've drawn up a legal contract between each other. I had some people in my life who were, definitely gave me the shade of like, but it's been a year. I mean, you're still like, I mean, you split a year ago. You left. Wasn't it a year ago that you were packing your boxes? And like, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It takes a while. The child, I'm still trying to figure out who fucking keeps the spoons and keep my kid in one piece, you know? So take some time. Also, let me throw out another, is this contrary? I don't know, another th a contrasting theory to consider. Things can change in the blink of an eye. Perception can shift just like that. And that is all choice. That is 100% free will. That is pure, loving, liberating intention. You can decide right now to just put the pain down and move on. Just bless, forgive. Yeah. All right. Another thing definitely helped me with healing things to move on on my own. Like if you are not open to allowing pursuing, doing what needs to be done to allow more romantic love into your life makes it a little tricky to see that person with another person. Now, our full healing should not be dependent on being repartnered. But for some of us, it can be a step towards wholeness and letting all other perpetrators from your past off the hook. Yeah, and that was definitely true for me. I mean, once I opened my heart and I came out of my castle and I let men even look in my direction because <laughs> basically before that, I, I walked through the world with this. I just had this air of like, don't even fucking try. And I definitely shifted to like, hey, give me your best shot. <laughs> And yeah, you gotta, if you want to move on, then you really need to, to back up that desire with the steps. And that really helps uh, with the equilibrium with the dynamic with your past lover. Oh, hey, one more thing about big breakups, divorce, long-term, where children are involved. I did things with my kid, like had conversations with my kid that I think 
Some child psychologist would have said that wasn't a good idea. Um, but I don't believe with all straightforward approaches to child psychology. So I was really honest with my child about how heartbroken I was. And at the, I, at the same time, I made it very clear that I am resoundingly strong, that I have got every single aspect of our lives covered, that I am going to be there for my son for the rest of my life and the rest of his life, that even after I die, I will be holding and nourishing, oh my gosh, I can't talk about my kid without crying, that even after I die, I will be holding and nourishing my son from the next dimension. So I made it so clear to him, I've got him. We're going to eat great food, and we're still going to go to fun places, and we're going to snuggle every night, and we're going to keep having a beautiful, cozy, warm home, and we're going to go for long walks with a dog, and we're going to build Lego and all those kid things. My my son was six the first time my husband and I, my ex-husband and I, decided to part. And then we got back together. And then so the second time, God bless us all in our loyalty, <laughs> the second time we split, my child was, our child was about eight. And so I, yeah, just hit it home. I am home. I am solid. I am mother. I got you. And you can cry and you can be mad. You can be angry. And then I did what we all need to do is so like, this is not your fault. You are so loved. This is so between Dada and I. And at the same time, I openly wept. I thought it'd be really just weird and freaky if my son did not see my tears. Why would I hide my truth and the beauty of my broken heart from my blossoming young son? His soul can take it. His soul wants... Our souls want truth and authenticity. It's part of the whole picture. So I didn't put on a brave face. I was brave. And he saw that, felt that, and experienced that. And I didn't cover up my devastation. That was, that was true. What my son experienced was how we move on through devastation, how you still laugh in a broken heart, how anger is going to come up. And you can find softness within the same hour that you were just raging, you know? Yeah. He's turned out okay. My son has turned into a great boyfriend for the young women whom he blesses with his boyfriendness. And it's, it took a while, but I think we all appreciate um, the ease and the harmony that we now have between are two very separate, but always connected families. Yeah, divorce. So brutal, so liberating, so potentially blessed. Wow, we're just going to pack this episode because now we have a question from Paloma about body image. Hey, anybody? Anybody got issues about body love, hate? acceptance, celebration. Let's get into it. Here's Paloma's beautiful articulation. I have come a long way in the relationship to my body. I have struggled with body image all my life, as so many do. 
I have tried hating it to change it. I have tried loving it to change it, but both felt unnatural and forced. I want to just be and take my body for what it is. However, at one point in my life, I was the weight I truly felt myself in. I want to get back to that weight, but I want to do it out of love. How can I, quote, just be while also striving for something that made me feel more like myself? How do you strive while being present? Oh, love, goddess, Paloma, body-loving, respecting woman. This is a lovely question because it takes a few things into consideration. One, self-love. And two, how to like root into that love while you're moving towards your ideal. And I super relate to this one because <laughs> in terms of body image, body issues, body love, I mean, for a long time, I... I internally always felt tiny, skinny. And then I would look in the mirror and say, whose ass is that? So I didn't feel, <laughs> I felt like myself on the inside, but I didn't feel like I was myself on the outside. And so I've been in that place where I want to root more into digging who I am today without excessive pressure about getting my body to where it really feels like it's me. And I feel as sexy as possible. Even when I had, I was packing extra weight on my own bod, I always felt sexy. And, you know, I was, I was good to go <laughs> at all times, but it, you know, weighed on me, pun intended. So here's my, this is my approach to being present. And this applies to more than just body, right? To being present and loving with where you're at, and moving towards change, specifically where the body is concerned. Gratitude is always the lever, because we all know this, gratitude helps us fire happy chemicals in our brain and decreases our stress. And when we're in that space, we're just going to have more love and self-acceptance and self-celebration happening, but also... <laughs> the connection between stress and weight gain slash weight loss is is well-founded. So what I got into the practice of doing was, and I still do this, is get out of the shower. And when you're putting on your nice lotions and oils and potions, I would just thank every part of my body. I'd be like, legs. Oh, legs, I love you. <laughs> And it's it's not about, uh, you're not just like, oh, I wish you were different, so I'm loving you. I'm just like, my life is full of so much ease and strength and power. Because how difficult would life be without your legs? And I say, thank you for walking, for running, for yoga, for how I can wrap my legs around someone at the right time. My arms, my boobs, my stomach. Oh my God, I love you, stomach. You hold everything in. You carry all my organs. You carried a baby. You are my power center. Thank you, second chakra. Just love, 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 love. There's that. 
having a vision. So I would, at the time when I was burning weight and wanting to really reshape my bod, I had a whole wellness section on a vision board. And I had this beautiful image of a woman who was kind of like my type, long brown hair, and I just like that. Uh, that helped. And in my visualizations of, you know, the, the particular things, so I, I work on three to four visions at a time over a long period of time. And I'm very specific about the visions. I talk about this in another podcast about manifesting. And the idea here is that when you are seeing the image of your healthier ideal body, and this again works for anything, this could be you're seeing the image of your healthier, more ideal financial situation, um, or your healthier, more ideal immune system, whatever it is, right? That you're not seeing it as a vision outside of yourself. You are seeing yourself in that that movie, in that film, in that real dream. So I would feel myself in a certain setting and be in my body and feel it being lighter and feel it being firmer and more flexible. And I would give great thanks and I would give thanks to all elements of my life for helping me optimize my wellness. Yeah. And then as I was losing weight, when I would step on the scale, and you know, you're going to have those days where you're not where you want to be. Oh, you didn't lose the five ounces or the two pounds over those two weeks, whatever it is. Or if you're measuring inches, I would never measure inches. I never have, never will. It's just like, do these jeans feel good on my ass today? On the days when I wasn't where I wanted to be, I wasn't making the progress, I'd get off scale and i just say, you're awesome. And I just turn my mind to all the reasons I am truly awesome. I'm talented. I'm loving. I'm kind. I'm so, I am making progress. Even if I wasn't making progress on the scale, of course, everything is progress. Every breath, I am getting closer to my true self. It's the way the cosmos works. So there was that. I also surrounded myself with friends who wanted to get healthier. <laughs> so it's great to have a buddy and you're just loving on each other with like whatever is happening. Optimizing our wellness oh, is such a great exercise in, in presence and manifestation at the same time. A few personal pointers about reshaping your body purely from my own experience. So I have I've lost, I'm about 35 pounds lighter than I was a couple years ago. And I did a lot of dumb things to try and lose weight. And I did a lot of really wise things. And the wisest thing I did was to look at my overall wellness. And my experience was the best thing I did was I got really dialed in to what was happening with my stress levels and my sleep hygiene. I don't really love that term, but it works, gets point across. The quality of my sleep 
and what was going on with my hormones. And I really am down with the work of Mark Hyman and Sarah Gottfried around all this and the, the brain and the gut connection to health. So, and Mark will say, like, don't guess, test. I tell all my friends now, like, something's off. Just go, you know, talk to a functional MD, get your blood work done, see where all your hormone levels are at, where your cortisol is in the morning when you wake up. Because until you have that internal system reset to where it needs to be, it's going to be really difficult to to lose weight if losing weight is what you want to do. Let me also insert into this conversation. I'm this is not a discussion about dieting. <laughs> Even though I'm talking about how I lost weight, how one can lose weight. I want to make sure that there's lots of room in this around maybe, you know, you don't actually have to lose weight to love yourself more deeply. Maybe first it's about just loving yourself more deeply, more extensively, denying all the images and the messaging we've been given for really, come on, hundreds of years <laughs> about body type and digging who you are. And you realize like, I don't need to do anything. I am beautiful as is. And if you are making the choice that you want to feel better in your body, and to do that, you want to peel off some pounds, then have at it and do it. Oh, just do it with a sense of celebration. Also, so get super real about this. The conversation I have with my girlfriends often goes like this. At some point, it's about just doing what you need to do to get the weight off if that's what's going to make you feel better. And the process of just committing to do that has you wake up to your power. You hit the gym, you get the trainer, you cut out the carbs, you do that. You get yourself on a on a, a beautiful regime. Ideally, this is not coming from a place of self-punishment. It's coming from a place of empowerment. And it may feel punishing some days because resistance is going to come up. I write about this in um, the Desire Map. It's the work of my friend Todd Herman. Talks, he's a, an elite coach. I think I've talked about him in another episode. And he talks about resistance being a sign of success, actually, that it's an indication that our cells and our thinking are reconfiguring into our new way of being. Yeah. Now, personally, I don't do anything that feels punishing. <laughs> I just, I'm at a point in my life where I just don't. And the results of doing practices that are joy-based and make me feel more alive instead of less than, that's what works for me. So I got my body to where I wanted it to be through super reducing my calorie intake and eating good calories, so good, clean food. For me, I had to remove lots of stressors in my life. I I mean, this has been a journey of like two or three years of looking at my relationship to work, but also 
and again, this is a very personal choice, I had to look at my relationship with meat. There was a lot of internal stress there for me. So every time I would eat a dead animal, I would feel just racked with guilt. And I had really bought into the ideology that I needed a certain amount of protein to burn fat and that I couldn't be eating beans and just vegetables. And it was too stressful for me. I was apologizing to the little chicken and just saying, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you've given your life for my protein intake. It was too fucking stressful. And I just went with my conscience and I moved back to living a plant-based life. And I mean, this is a other side conversation about meat consumption and the environment and humanitarianism and animalism and and for me, love, but it just doesn't work for me. And I think removing that inner conflict from my life really helped me just be more in alignment with my heart. And that helped me do other things that helped me get my body to where I really wanted it to be. For me, the the exercise and the movement involved, it was didn't happen in the gym for me. It wasn't about strength building for sure. Um, it was about more walking. It was about walk running, which gives me joy. And it's something I continue to do. I asked myself at the beginning of like really moving into like, okay, now it's body time. Is what I'm going to do now something I want to be doing for the rest of my life? Because it's a practice I want to keep up and maintain. And burning it in the gym wasn't the answer for me. So it's about being in nature and getting my sweat on. And then it's about yoga. And it's about most often, well, not most often, I'd say 50-50. 50 50% of the time, it's about really gentle yoga for me and the breath work, moving the energy, rinsing my body of particular thought forms and bringing in thought forms of love. I know for me that burns everything that I need to burn. And then the other percent of the time, it's about restoration and love and and dissolving stress. Yeah. So what else do I have to say on this, on this beautiful issue? Oh, the body image movement. I'll put a link to Taryn in the show notes. Beautiful story. You may be aware of her. Her image she posted about four years ago went viral of her before and after photos. So her before photo was her being super fucking ripped. And she was actually competing in in a weightlifting competition. So that was her before image. And her after image was her being much fuller figured and curvaceous. And she created a documentary based on this called Embrace about her obsession with negative body image and weight loss and everything she did to not just get the weight off, but to be able to operate at a competitive bodybuilding level. Crazy. And all the the negative impact that had on her psyche. And when she made more loving 
self-embracing choices and let her body reset itself to its natural way of being, uh, she was curvier. And that resulted in a lot less stress and a lot more love. So there's that to consider too. Yeah. For myself, just to wrap this up with my own personal story, uh, I'm at a place where I'd always love to be a bit tinier, but I'm super digging where I'm at and I feel so much more like myself now that I have, as a result of making the commitment to a whole, and by whole, I mean a holistic approach to my complete wellness. So that included peeling off some pounds. It included just getting the right haircut. (laughs) and layers included my respiratory system, my quality of sleep and sex and yoga and all of that. And uh, self-love is a holistic approach to all of you. Yeah. So here's to soul love and body love, all shapes, sizes, all places on the path. Let's slide into home base, shall we? Final question from Cassandra. Cassandra's got a question about time. And I think everybody's going to raise their hand for this one. I've been hearing this a lot from my close circle. And I may have said this a few times myself. Here's Cassandra's words. It feels like everyone I love wants a piece of me. All the time. I'm trying to change my perspective and tell myself the... I choose to, insert the name of the person or the thing that I'm helping out with, but I'm just so damn tired. How can I spread myself around without giving up all of myself? Ooh, I love this one. Okay, let's just, let's analyze this language for a second. Spread myself around without giving up all of myself. Oh, let's not even consider spreading ourselves around like butter on toast, like energy being dissipated and leaked and drained and sucked on. And let's not use any visuals that have to do with diluting ourselves as in dilution or delusion. (laughs) Uh, Here's what I got to say. The aim is not to give yourself to everybody. It's to give as much as you are in joy to give in the direction that you want to give it in. Let me pause here and say, I'm all for giving. I want to give as deeply as effectively, as profoundly to as many human beings as I possibly can. But I don't want to spread myself around. I want to stay well. I don't want to have any health flare-ups. I want to have intimacy with the people in my life. That takes time for those conversations and making plans. So here's what I do. I'm going to give all credit, by the way, to my coach, Chayla Davison. That's D-A-V-I-S-O-N, Chayla Davison. I'll put her name in the notes. Before I say yes or no to something, 
I ask myself this question. Is this the future that I want to belong to? Is this the future that I want to belong to? So, you know, this is what happens. I can commit to something, you know, it'll be January and I'll be like, yeah, I'll do that thing in October because October is so far away. And then October comes and you're like, it happened. It's here. (laughs) I got to do that. So now it's like, do I want, is that the future that I want to create that I'm going to be excited about? And if the answer is no, or if it's meh, then my response needs to be, I, I have to decline. No, thank you. But here's the thing. Even though I'm making choices based on self-respect and respect of the other person, so it's all rooted in love, it doesn't mean that delivering it gets any easier. I, I don't want to disappoint people. Uh, I want to support lots of people. Uh, I, there's lots of people that I love. I want to cheer you on and I want to... I want to give you a blurb for your book and I want to post that on my Instagram and I want to contribute to your wellness and your prosperity and the good work in the world. But if I do that for everybody, I'm just going to get so tired. And I'm the quality, my health and love and relationships. And I still try and make my kid a snack at three o'clock once in a while when he comes home. So I have a new reply. And I've just started using it, coincidentally, this week. I'm going to read it to you. So if you email me today and you're asking me to speak somewhere or review your manuscript, you might just get this email back. It goes like this. I'm doing a working sabbatical until the summer of 2020, maybe forever, in order to write a book and tend to what we've built and to love on my friends and family and get my tail to yoga. Life. It's hard for me to not jump in and support friends. I so want to help in all ways. But instead of trying to balance the bonkers, I'm going to try out this sanity thing. I see a bright future in it. I so hope that you understand. Sending love, Danielle. So anybody that needs some healthy boundaries, feel free. Let's talk about why we say yes when we mean no, when we mean hell no, when we mean please, oh God, don't ask. Because we want to be loved and we want to be liked. We don't, more than that, I think we don't want to be disliked. And that can come from just this really naturally healthy place where, you know, we're loving creatures and we want to create harmony and we're, we are just naturally generous. We are love. We want to help. So our first inclination to help others is a healthy response. Let's not criticize ourselves for having a loving and inclusive, helpful reaction to people. And then sometimes uh, what can really be driving the overhelping is, I want to be liked. I want to be loved. I don't want anybody to shit talk about me. You know what? People are going to shit talk about you anyway, so... (laughs) Just keep yourself healthy. Here's the other thing to keep in mind is that when you show up as with a with a really graceful delivery for reasons that are rooted in love for yourself and respect for the other person, you're actually inspiring them to do the same for yourself. So when you choose health for yourself, you are leading the way for other people 
to choose health for themselves. And in that scenario, nobody is spread too thin. Thank you so much for listening, for feeling, for spreading the word. You can find me here in a new episode every Thursday and every Sunday with love.